If you want to take out your Bibles, we're actually, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, right? Looking at all of these different Christmas carols as we've gone. And now we are going to look a little bit of ahead. And we're going to jump to Revelation chapter 5. And so Natalie, would you read the text for us? And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the, angel, the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten th thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all them that is them saying to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Natalie. Yeah. <clears throat> I heard like somebody like lightly clap, and so I was like, yeah, let's all clap for Natalie. You know, it's okay to be excited in church. It's okay uh, to offer some feedback while I'm preaching this evening, if you would like. So if you, be, if you want this to be interactive, it can be interactive as much as you would like uh, for it to be interactive. But I have uh, the pleasure of preaching from Revelation. I kind of wish I would have preached last week when Pastor Matt preached and let him have this week. Um, he spent a lot of time in Revelation and... Uh, so I'm excited. I'm excited to preach from uh, this incredible book. And as you heard from Pastor Matt, for the last several weeks, as you know, we have been observe, observing Advent, and we've been doing that by looking at the original Christmas carols, the Christmas carols that you and I typically read about in Scripture that maybe we don't recognize their songs, but there are these incredible songs in Scripture glorifying and singing praises and worshiping the arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we talked about Elizabeth, if you can remember back to when we talked about Elizabeth. We talked about Mary's song, Zechariah, the priest. We talked about the song that the angels sang to the shepherds. And then we also talked about the song of Simeon. So Advent signifies a period of time or a season of waiting, right? That is what Advent means. It's a, it's a season of waiting. And so most of the kids have been waiting to receive their presents, right? They've been waiting to receive that new Xbox or that new PlayStation if they were able to get it from the scalpers, if you've heard at all about that. So the kids have been waiting for a long time. I remember as a kid, I used to pray like, Jesus, I don't care if you return, just wait till after Christmas, right? I would always hope that he would wait till after Christmas because somehow the presence that I was going to get was going to outweigh the return of Christ. I obviously didn't understand that. 
So obviously, that's not what we're waiting for when we celebrate Christmas. We all know that we are celebrating and waiting for the arrival and the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And obviously, we know that Jesus has already come. And so it's not so much that we're waiting for the arrival or the birth of Christ. We're remembering, right? We're remembering and we celebrate on Christmas the birth of Jesus. However, what many of us typically forget or tend to forget as Christians is there's a second advent. There's an advent that we celebrate leading up to Christmas, but there's a second advent. There's a second season of waiting, and you and I are in that season right now. We are in the second advent, which Christ came the first time, and now we as believers are waiting for the second coming of Christ. That is the second advent, and you and I are observing that at this very moment, we are still awaiting the arrival of Jesus. So the first time that Jesus came, we understand from Scripture, he came very humbly, right? He was born in a manger, laid in a manger. He came very humbly to poor parents. He was a humble king. He rode on the donkey into Jerusalem. But the second time that Jesus returns, or the time that we are now waiting for, Jesus is going to return altogether differently from the first time. He came very humbly the first time, but the second time, or the second arrival of Jesus, is when he will be revealed as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, riding a white horse, right? It's this picture of power. It's this picture of Jesus returning as the rightful king. So we're going to look together at a new song, a new song sung in heaven regarding the worthiness of Christ, Christ's worthiness. So as we begin, I feel like I have to offer a little bit of a disclaimer, all right? So we're preaching from Revelation chapter 5, and this is supposed to be like a family service. So tomorrow we're going to have kids in service, more kids then are here tonight, and I'm thinking, should we really preach from Revelation, you know, during a family service? But absolutely, right? But I feel like I have to offer a little bit of a disclaimer as we look at this passage in Revelation 5. When we read this incredible book of prophecy and apocalyptic literature, like we love that word apocalypse, we're fascinated with the apocalypse. I don't, like, there's these crazy books and movies that we as Christians just love to read, right? We're so fascinated uh, with the end times. And so when we ever, whenever we come to the book of Revelation, we enter into what I am calling the Christian twilight zone. We enter into the, the Christian twilight zone. To this day, I can promise you, mentally, I'm scarred because of the movies that I watched as a child and because the conversations that I heard adults having in church about the apocalypse and the end times and the tribulation. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can remember walking into my house, coming home from school, the front door's open. I come running in, mom and dad aren't there. I start looking around like, mom, dad, Jesus, did you leave me? You know, like I used to be terrified as a kid, of the end times. However, when we read the book of Revelation, we should be excited 
as believers in understanding that our God is sovereignly in control of all of the events that are going to occur in the future. We have a God who is worthy. And we're going to look at his worthiness today from this chapter in Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to look at what it means. And we're going to discover, as we look at this incredible song in verses 9 through 14, we're going to discover what it means that Jesus is worthy. There's a lot more happening in this passage than we have time to really get into and discuss. So there's a far more happening than we actually have the ability to spend time uh, talking about tonight. So what I want to focus on as we look at this passage, as we look at this new song in Scripture, is Christ's worthiness, his worthiness, his worthiness of our worship, what it means for Jesus to be worthy. And I want to look at his worthiness in a way that will cause us to worship him for who he really is. Because I think that many of us have a skewed picture of who God is and a skewed picture of who Jesus is. So, with the disclaimer behind us, I want to ask a really important question to the students who are in here and to any children that might be in here. All right, how many of you got in trouble this week? By a show of hands, if you're, if you're brave enough as a, as a student or as Matthew, he's married now, so it makes sense. I was going to ask how many husbands got in trouble this week. I, Yes, right? The real question is, isn't how many of you got in trouble, it's did you deserve it? Did you deserve the punishment, right? So I can remember this time uh, growing up as a kid where I was shooting out streetlights with BB guns. (laughs) I was that kid, you know? My brother and his friends, my older brother, I was following his example, you know, my older brother and his friends were trying to shoot out a streetlight, and I just thought I'd show them how to do it, you know, and so I walked right up after I pumped up my BB gun about a hundred times, I walked right up underneath that streetlight, boom, first shot, nailed it. No sooner did I shoot out the light, did I hear the terrifying voice of my father about an acre away, yelling my name, Right? And that was the one and only time I remember getting the belt across the bare butt, right? It's, it, it's ingrained in my mind. Now, I look back on that story, and, and I look back and laugh about it, but one of the things that I love about that memory is the punishment fit the crime. You know what I mean? Like, I deserved the punishment. I deserved to be punished, and not once during my punishment, did I ever doubt my father's love for me? There wasn't a single point when my father was punishing me that I doubted his love. But interestingly, when we come to the book of Revelation, suddenly we forget that God is a loving father. We forget that God is good, and we become uncomfortable with the reality that in the book of Revelation, God is pouring out his wrath and judgment on the wicked, and suddenly we begin to doubt the goodness of God. We can't doubt God's goodness when he's bringing about 
his judgment. Have you ever considered what it is that you and I are actually saved from? Why is it that we are saved? And what is it that we are saved from? We aren't saved from the enemy. We aren't saved from our sin. We're saved from the judgment and the wrath of God, the one who is going to judge our sin, the one who is going to judge our actions. When we're saved, we're not saved from this world, but we are saved from the judgment of God. God, and we'll see in this scripture, paid himself the price of your debt so that you and I could be spared from his wrath and from his judgment. Is there any better news than that? That God paid your debt so that you could be spared from his wrath. So with that in mind, could we have a more loving God than our Heavenly Father? When we read Revelation, we are often filled with anxiety, right? We get anxious. We're filled with these anxious thoughts concerning the future. But the reality is that Revelation should be encouraging to you and I as believers as it provides us with hope. The book of Revelation actually provides us with hope in understanding that we have a God who is orchestrating this whole thing, right? When we look back over the past year and we think, what is going on in the world? When there are things that don't seem to make sense to us as believers and as Christians, when we think, you know, if I was in charge, I wouldn't do it that way. We begin to doubt that God is actually in control. But what we learn here from the book of Revelation is that our God is sovereign over everything that is happening in our world. When we read this incredible book, finally, the world is being brought to justice. Finally, the record is being set straight. Finally, wrongs are being made right. And the reason this is such good news for us is because we have a Savior who is worthy and able to save us from the wrath of God, which you and I rightfully deserve, just like I deserved the belt after I did something that I shouldn't have done. We are saved from the wrath of God. So in order to help, I want to make this clear too, like, I don't have like a singular point. Well, I do have a singular point. I don't have like a multiple point message. This is, there's one point tonight. And if you walk out of here understanding this, or at least remembering this, this is all that matters. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. And I want to help reinforce that so that we will worship him because of who he really is. So to help set the stage for what is taking place in these verses, this is where it gets crazy. We find John experiencing a vision of God's throne room. So to help you understand this a little bit better, the book of Revelation isn't meant to be taken literally. I know that sounds crazy. It's like, shouldn't I believe everything that's written in the Bible? Yes, you should believe everything that's written in the Bible. But the way that it is written, not everything that you read in Revelation is meant to be taken literally. It's meant to be taken symbolically. 
There are symbols and things that we read about in Revelation that are symbols of how things are or what is actually going on behind the scene. So we see John experiencing a vision of God's throne room. He is given a behind-the-scenes look and tour of what is happening in the future, what must take place. And a really fun fact that I learned as I was studying this, if you go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, you find the author of Revelation isn't John. The author of Revelation is divinely authored by Jesus. He's letting John in on what is going to happen, and John is simply relaying this information to the churches. He's a scribe. I think those are my children. I don't know whose, whose kids are those. My kids. Those are my kids. <laughs> so John is actually a scribe for Jesus, and Jesus is the divine author of the book of Revelation. And he's given a behind-the-scenes tour of what is going on. So John has a vision of heaven, and in heaven he sees a throne. And he sees none other than God himself seated on the throne. And surrounding the throne are 24 thrones. And on those thrones are 24 elders. Who are those elders? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us who they are. It's best not to impose what we think on Scripture. If it's not there, it's not important. God didn't decide to tell us. That's okay. Leave it alone. There are certain things that God wants us to understand, and there are more important things going on in this passage than us trying to understand every little nuance and detail. There is something really important. So who these elders are, we don't know who they are. We could speculate, but we don't really know. Then on each side of the throne, there are these four living creatures with six wings and full of eyes. This is the stuff that nightmares are made of, right? And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And every time these wild-looking creatures worship God, the elders fall down before the throne, casting down their crowns, and they worship God who is the creator of all things. This is God, the creator of the universe. And it's at this point that John's attention is drawn to the scroll which is in his right hand, the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And there's something odd about this scroll. It has writing on the inside and on the outside, and it is sealed with seven seals. And again, many people speculate about what they think is written on the scroll, but nobody really knows because it's not that important. It's not that important about what is written. That is for God to know. That is for the one who is worthy of opening the scroll to know, but it is best understood to be the will of God. You see, there were wills, last will and testaments in the Roman culture that were similarly sealed with seven seals, and only the executor of the will had the right to open it. Did you catch that? Only the one who was worthy of opening the scroll had the right to open it. As far as what's written on the scroll, we don't know. 
But what happens next is what really matters. John sees a mighty angel or a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. The idea that is implied here is that this mighty angel makes this announcement to the universe and it reverberates throughout the entire universe. Who is worthy of opening the scroll and breaking its seals? No one. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look into it. And it's at this point that John begins to weep. Because the will of God can't be fulfilled if the scroll can't be opened. You see, John, he's the last living apostle. The rest of the apostles, martyred. The church, it's not doing so good. If you read previously in Revelation, things are looking pretty bleak. John has been stoned. He's been boiled in oil. And now he finds himself in his old age, exiled, to Patmos, he can do nothing. He can do nothing. And if nobody can open the scroll, if nobody can open the scroll, if no one is found worthy of carrying out God's will, there is no justice and there is no hope for the struggling church. There is no one worthy. That's just it though, right? There truly is. No one who is worthy. Certainly, I'm not able to save myself, nor am I able to save anyone else. How many times at the start of a new year have you told yourself things are going to be different this year, right? I'm going to pull myself together. I'm going to get it right this year. I'm going to set some goals. This year is going to be different. How many times, let's be honest, have you signed up for a gym membership, right, only to be reminded by your bank account six months later that, oh man, I still haven't gone. <laughs> Planet Fitness, zero money down right now. It's $10 a month. Just keep giving that 10 bucks. You don't have to go, just keep giving them that subscription, right? How many times have we done that? But on an even greater scale, how many promises have you made to God and said, I'll never do that again, God? And you found yourself right back doing exactly what you told God you would never do? How many times have you felt utterly helpless to change even the smallest thing about who you are? Without me even telling you, we are painfully aware that we are unworthy. We are unworthy. Between the enemy, the world, and our flesh, we are outnumbered and incapable of standing on our own. We need someone who is able to bind the strong man in our lives and set us free. We need somebody who will crush the enemy and overcome the world, enabling us to walk in the Spirit and not gratifying the desires of our flesh. And just when it seemed as all hope had been lost, one of the elders came over, John and said, weep no more. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is found worthy. Amen? Jesus is worthy. This is a direct reference to who Jesus is and his lineage. He is, in fact, the lion from the tribe of Judah. We read this in Genesis 49. Judah is a lion's cub, and the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And Jesus is the root of David, as we see mentioned in Isaiah 11.1. There shall come forth a root from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the root of David. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Imagine to John's surprise, though, as he begins to wipe the tears from his eyes, he regains his composure, and he looks up, and what does he see? Not a lion, but a lamb, as though it had been slain. He sees Jesus with the scars in his hands and the scar on his side. He sees Jesus as a little lamb as though it would have been slain. John would have immediately recognized that this was, in fact, Jesus. He references this in his gospel when he says in John 1:29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is Jesus, the lion and the lamb, who overcame through his death and resurrection. This lamb, however, is unlike any other lamb. This lamb has seven horns. What does that mean? Again, we're back to this really weird kind of imagery in Revelation. This lamb has seven horns. Well, the horn represents power. The seven represents completion. Jesus is full of power. He is all-powerful. Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus has complete power. And it says that he has seven eyes, meaning that Jesus knows everything. He is omniscient. And those seven eyes represent the seven spirits of God. Now, there's not seven spirits of God. This is the full spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit descending on us, his church. As Jesus ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, the Holy Spirit comes. And we have here in this picture God the Father on the throne, Jesus the Lamb, and the Holy Spirit all of the Godhead here present in the throne room of God. How awesome is that? How good is God's word? Amen? Man, I love the word of God. So whereas we see God on the throne in chapter 4 being worshipped as the creator of the universe, now we see his son, Jesus, being worshipped as our redeemer. God, the creator, God the Father, the creator of the universe, Jesus, the Son of God, the Redeemer. He is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. What is Jesus worthy of doing? And this is where the elders and the angels and all of creation joins together in this new song and worship to our God, not just as creator, but as redeemer of our lives. Jesus is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because he was slain and by his blood he ransomed people from every tribe, nation, and tongue and language. 
from the four corners of the world, making them into a kingdom to our God that they may reign on earth. God is not only the creator of all things, but he is the only one able to redeem his creation, which is why he put on flesh, which is why he became a man, because he was the only one. God would have been right to judge us all. He would have been completely justified in doing that. He wouldn't have been wrong to do that in judging us for our sins and our unworthiness, but instead he provided himself in the form of a man, his son, Jesus Christ, which goes back to the beginning of what I was saying. Oftentimes we cringe. That's my little girl. She's amening me back there. Ooh, I love her. <laughs> We get excited together, so we cringe sometimes when we think about the wrath of God, but he is the creator, and he's completely justified in pouring out his wrath and judgment on his creation. However, he chose not to leave us in our brokenness. He is the one who made it possible for us to be redeemed by providing his son to be slain. Amen? He paid the highest price possible that we might avoid his judgment. Now, I don't know how many ways I can say this, and I don't even know if I'm doing it justice, but he redeemed some without distinction, and he created an entirely new kingdom of priests made up of people from all over the world, not just to reign in eternity, but to reign even here right now at this moment. You and I as believers are called to reign with Christ, not by occupying powers of position, not by occupying the Oval Office, not by occupying powers of position, but by following the example of our King, the Lamb who was slain. We overcome through enduring suffering and hardships. We overcome by enduring to the end that we might receive salvation. We overcome so that one day with all of creation, we will be revealed as the sons and daughters of God. That is how we reign here and now on earth. He is worthy to receive. He is worthy to receive all authority, and he is worthy of our worship. The last part of this song says that all of creation joined in, including all of those who are in Christ, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. All of creation can finally exhale. Finally, finally, we have been redeemed from the effect of sin. Romans 8, 19 through 23 says, for the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Amen? As we wait for Christ's arrival, we are to worship Jesus, preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, so that God will redeem people from all over the world.
the world. Will the worship team begin to make their way to the stage? We're going to prepare ourselves for a time of communion. If we believe this, we as the church have a tremendous responsibility to lift up the name of Jesus, the only one who is worthy and capable of opening the scroll and bringing about God's judgment on earth. If we believe that Jesus is worthy to receive all authority, and if we believe that he is worthy of our worship, we must proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. If we know and understand that Jesus is the only one who is worthy of redeeming us, then we have a responsibility to worship him in a way that testifies to the world of his worthiness. Do you believe that? If you believe that Jesus has redeemed you, why are we not telling the world? What are we doing? If you believe that you have been redeemed by the Son of God, and that the only way we can escape God's judgment and wrath is by believing in him, then we should be telling everyone. We should be telling everyone, unless we don't believe that. But if we believe it, we need to worship him in a way that testifies to the world of who he really is. And if we are in agreement, like the elders at the end of these verses, would you agree with me by saying, Amen. Amen. We're going to take a moment here to spend some time in communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, it says that we should examine ourselves. So as we take a moment here to examine ourselves and to remember what Christ has done for us, let's sing this song in reflection of his great love. Amen. Nothing has the power to save like your name. Amen.
Amen. In God's word we read in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Would you take your bread this evening and would you break it with me? And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread together this evening. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us partake of the cup together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is worthy, God, who is worthy of opening the scroll, Lord, who is worthy of bringing about your will on this earth. God, we pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. And God, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who was worthy and able to redeem us, God, from our unworthiness. And Lord, we know that your Son, Jesus, is worthy to receive all power and is worthy of our worship. So God, would we learn to worship you in a way that testifies to the world of your worthiness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.